Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And it's Monday, the day of each week we read back some messages from the mailbag. Uh, If you have never gotten in touch with the show before and you would like to, why not give it a try? You can email us anytime at contact at stuff to blow your We get a lot of emails, so we don't get a chance to uh, to uh, read all of it on the show here or, uh, or respond to all of it. But we do read it all and we really appreciate all the messages we get. So so thank you to all the people who have written in, who keep writing in. And uh, if you've never done it before, give it a shot. All right, let's kick things off with uh, a pretty cool monster fact listener mail that came in. And uh, this was in response to one of the four episodes that I did on the chaos gods of Warhammer 40,000. These are fictional gods, but there's a lot of neat little ins and outs to them. And this one is a response to the episode on Zinch, uh, which is the chaos god of, of change. Jay writes in and says, My name is Jay, and I'm a costume maker. I was just listening to your episode about the chaos demons of Zinch and thought maybe you'd appreciate a few pictures of my graduation piece from the 2015 costume construction course at Toy Wakari in Wellington, New Zealand. The task for this piece was to find a drawing or painting and recreate it as a wearable garment. I loved this rendering of a disciple of Zinch, and uh, Jay includes a photo, and I think they incorporate a lot of the elements described in your episode. I tried finding the illustrator back when I made this piece and had a few leads and emails sent out, but didn't seem to, uh, to find the right person. I would love for them to see their design come to life, so if you have some reach there, maybe they can see it. 
Since graduating, my job has given me the opportunity to work on great projects like the new Avatar movies and the TV productions of The Lord of the Rings and Sweet Tooth, and it has most definitely been full of change and chaos. So I feel choosing this piece was a good omen for me. Have a great day, Jay. Oh, this is awesome. So Jay includes a lot of uh, photos here of is this, I, I can't quite tell from the photos. Is this costume life-size, like would fit on a person, not on a, like a, like a model or a figure? I'm assuming this is a full costume. If you look carefully at the picture, you can see that it's like a rolled white background. Yeah. Um, and I only, I, my wife is a photographer, so I see this kind of thing a uh-huh. lot. So I, 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 I may be a little better at identifying it. Uh, but yeah, this looks like a full, uh, full body outfit. Um, just really brilliant. I, I mean, to describe it, it's like, um, God, it's like what has a cowl kind of a thing going on, big shoulder, um, extensions. There are these feather elements. It's blue and white and gold, multiple blues and purples there with blue kind of being one of the primary colors of Zinch. What is it called in a, in a garment where you take the concept of a collar, but you make it gigantic, like you turn it into basically a coliseum? Yeah, yeah, this big, uh, you see this a lot of times, especially in fantastic art, and I guess maybe like high fashion, you know, where it's it's beyond what is perhaps realistic for a person to wear. But if you're a supermodel or a, a wizard representing a, a chaos god's interest in the mortal realm and real space, then yeah, go for it. Uh, go out there. It, it pays to be fashionable. So you're the one of us that knows about Warhammer. I, I know nothing about Zinch here. Uh, wh- what is the deal with these creatures? To me, this looks like a like a Skeksis, except uh, in, whereas the, the Skeksis have sort of connotations of decay and uh, and slime and, and filth and decadence. This this looks like a sort of glorious, clean, well-manicured Skeksis. Yeah, Zinch is all about appealing to like, well, there are various interests that can lead you down the path of heresy to Zinch, but essentially, if you're the type of um, wizard or heretic who um, who wants to acquire a great deal of knowledge uh, and wisdom, and uh, and also you want to, uh, you're, maybe you're very ambitious and you want a lot of change, well, Zinch is all about uh, forming a pact with you and giving you just more wisdom and more change than you can possibly imagine, and uh, some of the major avatars of Zinch often have bird-like features, which, uh, which is interesting. Mm. Like a lot of things in Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, like there are a lot of influences that clearly have gone into these designs and these factions over the years. And you can often pinpoint some of the major ones, like you wouldn't have Warhammer 40,000 without Dune, for example. And the same can be said of a lot of sci-fi franchises. But it's also been its own thing long enough that it it uh, it's hard to track down all of the influences and everything kind of takes on this novel uh, feeling of being its own thing. Yeah, again, I don't know much about Warhammer, but when I look at it, it seems to me to have absorbed a lot of influences from other sci-fi and fantasy. Like it just straight up has orcs in it, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the the, the orcs of Warhammer forty thousand are like, uh, you know, they're green skins and they're uh, they're they're a lot of fun. They're they're very punk i guess to a large extent like um you know like old school british punk but mm-hmm. then they also reproduce via spores and uh yeah there's a there's a there are a lot of elements to it that are like really grim and dark and other stuff that's a little more whimsical mm-hmm. anyway though this costume is incredible so great job jay and congratulations on getting to work on these uh pretty awesome projects i've seen i've seen at least some of all of these and uh yeah the production designs are amazing 
Now, Jay, as to your thing about helping you maybe get in touch with the artist, I don't know exactly the best way to do that since this is an audio medium. But hey, if you are listening and you are an illustrator who has, I don't know, done illustrations <laughs> of these sorcerers of Zinch and you are wondering if this is your illustration, you can contact us and we'll, we'll you know, try, try and help you figure it out. Yeah, always happy to hear from artists either way. All right, this next message is about our episodes on the telephone game. This comes from Sky. Sky says, hi, Joe and Robert. I just finished the first episode and had a few follow-up thoughts. First of all, the alternating picture-slash-text version of the telephone game is, as you suspect, a fantastic game. I've never heard of it by the name mentioned on the podcast, but have seen it go by many others. Telephone Pictionary, Telestrations, Drawception, and Drawful. It's one of our standards for board game nights when a uh, where a few too many people are invited. Just find a pencil for everyone, rip up some paper, and hilarity ensues. Second point, uh, I appreciated the reference to the Chinese room thought experiment and particularly its relation to recent large language models like ChatGPT. When self-driving cars were getting a lot of attention, it seemed to me like the trolley problem got enough attention uh, such that most people have now probably heard of it and somewhat understand why it's a tricky problem for that technology. I'm somewhat frustrated seeing the ill-informed debates about whether or not large language models are conscious and hope dearly that the Chinese room can also enter the zeitgeist and get more people involved in the interesting parts of the idea. You've focused on consciousness and many of the relevant thought experiments in previous episodes, but I wonder if a timely discussion of language models in relation to those topics could help. I'd certainly listen. Three, Robert's voice of the mind when talking about alterations to the uh, boy hides from his father story are hilarious. I love modeling part of your subconscious as a bunch of stoddy lit critics. Cheers, Sky. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for the thoughts, Sky. Um, you know, I, I've thought recently about uh, whether we should do something about like chat GPT and, and uh, all of this new these recent explosions of AI. I feel like my inclination is it's exactly when there are a lot of takes exploding on a subject is when I feel disinclined to talk about it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. because I feel kind of like, oh, is, is, is my take here going to be just a kind of transient, ill-informed thought that will blend in with all these others and then fade away? I always kind of feel like I want to give it some time and then look back on it and then figure out what I think and say that. Yeah. I mean, we've had a couple of guests on the show, including David Eagleman, and we've, uh, we, we've we've chatted uh, with with these experts and uh, uh, about the topic, but I, I'm of the same mind. A lot of this seems to be still developing, and I've I've waffled a lot just with my own experience with, uh, say, like um, uh, some some of the image generators and the chat bots. You know, like I found that I initially find them really exciting and uh, get into using them a little bit, but then like two things occur at once generally, um, or they have occurred at once. I'll sort of the more I use it, I'll sort of discover the soullessness of the experience mm. and find that it's not creatively satisfying me. And in fact, it feels like it's causing a void to grow in me creatively. And then I, get, I sort of push it away. That's interesting. I've had a similar experience recently. Um, so, okay, well, I, I just said I'm not going to give a take. Maybe this is not a take. I'm just explaining an emotion more than uh, mm. than a strong opinion. And it's hard to put my reaction into words, but it's just kind of a 
revulsion at the idea of a kind of uh, explosion of convincing insincerity mm-hmm. <laughs> in in all of the the content domains of human life and i don't know there, there's something i've i've found kind of disturbing about that yeah now now i, I do want to drive home that you know this is what i've just said was based on my experience toying around with it it's brought it's likely these tools are just not for me i don't want to steer anyone else away from enjoying them but um and it's you know it's also it's also possible that i just i am not technically proficient enough to make the most out of them. I don't know. There are various ways to cut it. Uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm right on the matter. It's just my uh, opinion. The other side of it, though, is that, you know, I've seen plenty of artists that I either know personally or I follow on, um, on Instagram or something uh, speak out against, like, AI art specifically. And, you know, I feel like I need to listen to them. I need to, you know, su- support them and hear them out. And, um, and so I've, I've tried to do that as well. Yeah, uh, agree with that. Uh, I I feel like I'm feeling the pull. I'm feeling the pull to like keep blabbering on and just uh, get into get into the takes. I, I said I wasn't going to give, so I'm not going to give them. We'll we'll just uh, well, let's move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, discussion continues. If you have thoughts about this, write in. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Uh, if you agree with us, disagree with us, or have more information. Uh, All right, we've still got plenty more messages about childhood amnesia. We're going to do a couple here. This one comes from Jay. Jay says, Dear Robert and Joe, I recently listened to the Before You Could Remember episodes, and I have uh, a memory to share. I have a somewhat fuzzy uh, childhood memory that doesn't feel like a memory of an event, but more like a feeling or a dream. I remember laying on my back and above me, is a pale brown surface, and on that surface is a bird. And there is a voice without a body that again and again says the words Tweety Bird, or rather, Pipifagel uh, in Swedish. Hmm. As I grew up, the memory popped into my mind every now and then, uh, but I never thought much about it. But when I was in my late teens, I asked my mom what she thought about the dream or what she thought the dream meant. She looked amused and told me that when I was a toddler, we used to live in an old house and the bathroom had an inner rough cut natural wood roof. Uh, And every time she needed to change my diapers, she took me to the bathroom laid me on my back on the bathroom mat and distracted me by pointing at the roof and said, look at the Tweety Bird. The bird she pointed at was a sawed-off branch on the wood roof that looked like the outline of a flying bird. I've always wondered if this was a real memory or if it was something I picked up as a child when I, after bedtime, listened to the adults talking in the living room next to my bedroom. If it's a real memory, it probably stuck because of hundreds of times I must have seen and heard the Tweety Bird. Anyhow, thank you for a great podcast and keep up the good work. Kind regards, Jay. Uh, oh, and to be clear, this is this is a different Jay than the other Jay who just wrote in. That was J-A-Y. This is just the letter J. Hmm. But thank you, Jay. Yeah, and I like this term "pipifago." That's that's very nice. Um, but yeah, this uh, this whole topic of um, of early childhood memories, I think, has, uh, has stirred a lot of uh, a lot of discussion. Um, I know that I ended up talking about uh, my uh, like vague childhood memory of my um, uh, pediatrician being Jean Shallot. I talked about this with my mom, and she, of course, confirmed that Jean Shallot was not my pediatrician. But no uh, and at first she was like, there was, you know, the, your doctor looked different. Uh, he didn't look anything like Jean Shallot. And then I'm like, no, well, no, maybe it was, uh, you know, further back. And she was and then she did confirm that I did have a doctor uh, pretty early on that had a mustache. 
though I'm not sure exactly what age I was at that point. Uh, so I think this mustachio doctor was the Gene Shalit of my memory. Oh, that's very interesting. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, here's another one. This one comes to us from Josh. Rob, Joe, JJ, and letter writer Scott. We've got listener mail folks talking to other listener mail folks. Uh, which is great. Uh, While listening to the podcast regarding childhood amnesia, I wondered over my earliest memory with no satisfaction. However, during Rob's reading of a letter replying to the episode about a sort of first moment of consciousness from Scott, my mind was absolutely blown. A memory came back to me that I haven't thought of in what must be like 35 years. I remember waking up in the morning and having a memory of the previous day of which I doubted the trustworthiness. I remember believing that I began existence upon waking and stepped into oblivion when I went to sleep. I remember devising a test wherein I resolved to send myself a message and decided that if I would remember this specific message from myself, I would lay the question to rest and believe in yesterday. 
I figured that through repeating the message many times as I fell asleep, I created the greatest likelihood of remembering it and that I should keep it simple. I told myself, remember thinking this. I did in fact remember the message, although there is no way to know if it was the first time I tried this experiment, and if my experiment is to be trusted every day since I have believed in yesterday. Thanks for the memories. Cheers, Josh. That's interesting, Josh. This sounds like the kinds of thoughts that I think I had when I was a little kid, <laughs> like mm -hmm. weird psychedelic childhood thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I engaged in a bit of that. A lot of closing the eyes and looking at the starscape and so forth. All right, maybe we should do some Weird House Cinema email. Are you ready for that, Rob? Let's have it. Okay, I'm going to do this one from Emily. Hi, Rob and Joe. Whether you're finished experiencing the smorgasbord of late 20th century 3D cinema, here's a suggestion for a non-3D but still deeply weird film. My husband and I just watched Sunshine, 2007, starring Killian Murphy and Chris Evans. The tagline on IMDb is, A team of international astronauts is sent on a dangerous mission to reignite the dying sun with a nuclear fission bomb in 2057 which is already compelling, but I would further describe the experience of watching this film as like trying to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, Alien, and Solaris at the same time by flipping back and forth between TV channels. Indeed, the director names uh, specifically those three films as direct influences and it shows. I think the film is plenty weird enough to be featured on Weird House, but it also, I think, prompts a broader discussion of science fiction as a genre. Does it become more or less difficult to write, quote, hard sci-fi as we, as a global society, learn more and more about the world we inhabit and how it works? Will general public scientific literacy ever reach a point at which the average person will struggle to enjoy or engage with stories like this because of all the scientific uh, liberties taken for the sake of the plot? Keep up the great work, Emily. Okay, I'll respond to both points. On the second point, if, you know, increasing scientific literacy, uh, I guess it's debatable whether that is really going on overall. I, I would want to see some information, some stats on that. But um, to the extent that is true, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really see that uh, causing much of a problem because I don't feel like as in my life, my personal scientific literacy increased. That made me less able to enjoy unrealistic science fiction. In fact, it's almost been exactly the opposite. Like uh, the more kind of scientific literacy I've had throughout my life, kind of the more I've enjoyed uh, absurd nonsense in as, you know, the pseudoscience in sci-fi plots. It I don't know. It's, you know, you can suspend disbelief. It's just fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're always going to have to suspend disbelief to some level uh, with a science fiction motion picture, I think. I mean, I think even the more the, the hardest examples of sci-fi you could point to, you're still, you know, you still have to immerse yourself in the, the movie viewing experience and certain elements of the plot and and, uh, you know, certain conveniences of um, uh, of storytelling. So, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to not think that's a problem. I mean, there's probably a larger, more complex discussion to be had about the role science fiction could play in both increasing scientific literacy and also dulling it, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps in some cases. Uh, and that's that's probably more, you know, the, the danger as opposed to mm -hmm. people you know losing out on appreciation for films that get it a little bit or a, a whole lot wrong. You know, there there is, though, an area where I can see uh, this maybe being a problem, which is like a film that is trying to be hard sci-fi, like it is going strongly for realism and fails at that. Like that can kind of be a problem. 
but as long as a film is just, you know, committing to some kind of pseudoscientific absurdity, I'm, you know, yeah, I don't care. That's fine. Uh, I think the problem is when it's insisting, no, this is real. This is really how the world is. And it's still getting it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally, I think a lot of sci-fi, you're going to take those real things that are happening and just and use those as uh, uh, as a springboard to get into other fantastic ideas. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, the other thing uh, about uh, Sunshine, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but I remember liking it when it came out. Though It's funny about the, the influences. So it's like 2001, Alien, Solaris. I can see all of those influences in it. But in my memory, definitely more in the first half, because spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, doesn't it sort of turn into Friday the 13th in space in the second half? Like it becomes a slasher movie. Yeah, it goes a little bit event horizon which I, I remember, I think I saw this in the theater and I remember everyone was pretty excited for it because, I mean, it's Danny Boyle and, you know, mm -hmm. he was riding really high at that point. Could do no wrong. Alex Garland, you know, could do no wrong. Uh, great cast, uh, even outside of the, the people we've already mentioned here. Uh, Underworld worked on uh, part of the music along with John Murphy. Uh, so it, all these things were lining up. And then the movie itself is kind of a mess, <laughs> kind of, and, you know, kind of just, you know, it is the, the, the idea of switching channels definitely was part of the experience. So I remember being a little underwhelmed by it, but finding it interesting. So in a way, that makes it the perfect kind of film to discuss on Weird House Cinema. Orbit of Mercury Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a guy who goes nuts because he's like, I love staring at the sun. Well, <laughs> I, I liked that element, actually. I thought that was cool. So one of the themes of the movie is that, like, as the ship gets closer to the sun, there's like a viewing deck, I guess, where you can see you can look at it with reduced intensity. And mm -hmm. some people just get like hypnotized by it. It's almost like it's a you know, it's an ancient god and they become uh, worshippers of it. And some become so obsessed with, with the sun god in front of them that they lose their minds. I, I thought that was cool. But yeah, it, it, the, the slasher element, I thought, I don't know. Yeah, I'd watch it again. I mean, it's been a long time. I, you know, most movies I watched like 15 years ago i my opinion could be very different now yeah yeah so you know, we'll have to put it on the, the the list of potential films for weird house for sure all right here's another one this one comes from anna hello robert joe and jj boy there are a lot of j's and jj's in this episode mm. um Anna continues, in your recent Weird House Cinema episode about the never-ending story, you talked about a scene in the book where Bastian is in a bookshop. This brought back a very strong memory of reading the book Matilda by Roald Dahl. Near the start of the book, she, Matilda, wants to escape her horrible family, and she finds refuge in the library. She sits for hours in the library reading books. Then one day, the librarian tells her she can take books home. She can take as many as she likes as long as she brings them back. This was a pivotal moment in her life. This huge magical world had opened up. I think part of the magic of this scene is also that someone has recognized her own sense of imagination and encouraged it rather than try to suppress it like the other adults in her life. I remember when the movie came out, this, uh, this is uh, alluding to the, uh, what, the 1990s adaptation. There's a, a wonderful new um, adaptation of the stage musical uh, that, uh, uh, my son is super into, and I, I've, I've seen it twice already. It's great. Mm. Uh, but, um, I also fondly remember the, the, what the 1990s adaptation. 
Anyway, Anna writes, I remember when the movie came out, it seemed like a different story. There was some controversy because it was depicting supernatural themes. I was so surprised because I had completely forgotten about the parts of the book where she moves things about with her mind. The magic in the story of Matilda was always the books and imagination, not the telekinesis stuff. The villains were the people who had lost their sense of imagination, people who had forgotten what it was like to be a kid. This was a common theme in the doll books. A lot of the books you were given as a kid felt like just some adult contriving a story in order to teach you a moral. But with the doll books, it was as if he was sharing a secret with us. Using funny words and using Quentin Blake's simple illustrations uh, was part of this. It felt like he was one of us. Okay, now a side note about childhood amnesia. One of my strong first memories is of putting on my own shoes. Uh, There was a feeling that if you had to put shoes on to do something, that meant it was important. Anyway, (laughs) I should end this email now before I ramble on too much. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna. It reminds me of uh, The Simpsons when they go shoe shopping for a good, stiff church shoe, but also (laughs) it's for doctor's appointments, piano recitals. Uh, I don't remember all the other things, but yeah, you got to put them on for anything important. (laughs) But also, Anna, yes, uh, this thing about uh, the never-ending story, I assume... You're picking up on the things we were talking about in that episode where uh, I think my comment was, strangely, what stuck with me most about the never-ending story was the most uh, fascinating to my imagination was actually not any of the fantasy stuff, but it was the book stuff. It was the the scene in the bookshop where uh, Bastion speaks with the guy about, you know, the other books being safe and this book being dangerous. And then the scenes where he is hiding up in the attic, just hiding all day where nobody can find him and he doesn't have to do what anybody else is telling him. He just gets to be alone and read. Yeah, yeah. Really connecting with uh, with something that I think a lot of us can relate to in our childhoods. Um, now, as far as Doll goes, yeah, this this whole idea of kids essentially being at war with adults, this is a common theme. In his work, you also see it in The Witches, which, uh, which by the way, I mean, there was an, a 1990 adaptation of The Witches, which, of course, was, was pretty fun. Had Jim Henson, uh, it was Jim Henson production, I believe, mm-hmm. and Angelica Houston plays the, the, the high witch. Uh, a lot of people did not like the 2020 adaptation. Uh, this is one that was directed by Robert Zemeckis, with, uh, and also the screenplay on that was at least partially by Guillermo del Toro and Anne Hathaway plays the uh the the high witch um you know this is very much a modern take on it with a lot of uh, computer effects but i thought Mm. this was pretty fabulous as well um i I enjoyed it i thought and and hathaway was amazing in it i have room for two high witches in my life (laughs) well i haven't seen either one maybe this is uh one of those uh gaps i will i will i will close once i'm uh, watching movies with my daughter as she grows up yeah All right, we're going to go ahead and close the mailbag there, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. If you have thoughts on anything we discussed in this episode of Listener Mail, thoughts on recent episodes of anything that we're putting out in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Stuff to Blow Your Mind Listener Mail airs on Mondays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, and you know the rest of the schedule. Core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Monster Fact or Artifact on Wednesday, Weird House Cinema on Friday, and uh, you know, throwing a little uh, rerun over the weekend. Huge thanks, as always, to our audio producer, J.J. Pauseway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 